0: And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers, and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. This week we're talking to British female rower Frances Horton. During an illustrious 21-year career, she was four times world champion, picked up three Olympic silver medals, and astonishingly, Francis took part in no less than five Olympic Games. That's amazing. I thought Steve Redgrave was the only person to do that. Well, Steve won gold at five successive games and he's on a pedestal that's unlikely ever to be toppled. But Frances was the first British female rower selected to take part in five Olympics. Frances retired from rowing after Rio in 2016 and now lives with her partner in Cornwall, where she mentors other athletes. She's just published a book about her experiences and action packs. Louise Hall tracked her down to her home near Newquay. Take us back to the beginning. How did you get into rowing?
1: So I got into rowing mainly because my sister, she was very, very sporty at everything. And every time I turned up to the PE class, the teacher would say, oh, this is great because you're going to be even better than her because you're taller and, you know, she's really talented and she's great at tennis and swimming and running and everything. But I honestly was useless. Like I didn't make the sandpit when I did long jump. Tennis was, I mean, it was just a battle between me and my brain and the tarmac. And swimming, you know, it was just barely more than sinking and so I just got really fed up of being compared with her and being a perpetual disappointment and I thought right I'm just going to try the only sport she hasn't tried and that was rowing and I was actually initially told oh you're going to find this really hard and, and put off it because I was told oh you're very tall you'll find it very hard to balance but actually that's not quite I mean, it is hard to balance if you're tall but being tall is also a huge advantage because you have these long levers and I just actually loved being out on a river on my own. is that what you call your legs long levers long levers yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I love being out on a river on my own. I loved that feeling of of moving a boat just down a river, sort of pushing off from shore, being away from things.
0: And it's that sense of rhythm
1: as well. Yeah, yeah. You can really develop that that rhythm and sort of oneness with something else. Very special. And you know, it gave me something to talk to other people about, you know, because I wasn't sort of into theatre or playing games or sort of girly things but it gave me this common language with other people that, that I could sort of build relationships through something else and I think that's what attached me to it.
0: So how old were you then? I
1: was nine then. That was at the Dragon School where your father was a teacher, Lofty. Why was
0: he called Lofty? How tall (laughs) was your father?
1: My dad was about six foot seven and pretty big set guy. So yeah, that's definitely where my height comes from. I'm six foot four, just over. So I definitely took after him. And yeah, so he was a teacher for many, many years. And I think possibly that's where, so the book that I've written, Learnings from Five Olympic Games, I'm I'm pretty sure somewhere in the back of my mind, this comes from him, you know, being a teacher. And it always instilled in me the importance of part. Passing on from your experiences. Don't just keep them to yourselves. It's important that we all we all progress and we contribute to other people's experiences. And so that I think is why As someone put it to me, they said, you've got all this stuff in your head and it's almost like it's too burdensome to keep carrying around and too valuable not to share. Really felt like I needed to articulate all these learnings I had over the 21 years and the five Olympic Games and all these different crews and teams that I had been in. And bring that into something really concise and clear so that it was tangible and usable for others. You know, it's not a bio across my whole life story. It is really pertinent learnings about performance both the pragmatic stuff and the personal human stuff and I think that's very much what my dad was like you know he's a very disciplined person he definitely taught me discipline but he was also very very human and he was a sensitive guy and I think hopefully over time I've managed to sort of dial into more of that than the just being really focused on trying to achieve stuff because as I say it's not about getting it done it's about what you do and enjoying that process along the way.
0: As well as being a three times silver medalist, a four times world champion, you're also in the five time Olympic club alongside Catherine Granger, the first British female rower to compete at five games.
1: Yeah, it is. So I was the first female British rider to be selected onto the team for Rio, which was really exciting. And that was an aim that I made myself when I came back from my first Olympic Games in Sydney. You know, I had t- had such an incredible time. I was actually just sat on my scooter on the embankment in Battersea coming back from my lectures at King's College London. And I remember I was just I was just thinking oh, what an incredible experience it had been to watch my teammates stand on the Olympic podium win various medals, including, of course, Steve Redgrave winning his fifth medal fifth gold medal I thought oh my plan was just to go once and then go out and get a proper job but how many more Olympics could I possibly fit in before I'm too old and so back in October 2000 that's when I made my vow to myself to see if I could possibly be the first woman in Britain to get to five in rowing and actually it turns out there are only five of us in any sport that have been to five games so it does feel like a really small privileged club But yeah, it was worth the hard work. And some of those last years were pretty hard to get through, but I'm glad I persevered. I went to Sydney, Athens, Beijing, London and Rio. And as you said, I was 19 in Sydney and I retired at the age of 35 in Rio. Yeah, they were different. I think Sydney was a real celebration of sport. Athens was very much, this is where the Olympics were born. All the ancient stadia, it was incredible to be where the Olympics began. And a lot of the infrastructure was not finished, but it didn't feel like that really mattered because... Is a it's just part of the story, and and b it didn't matter because it was the history that was the defining feature of those games, mm. and then Beijing was very much about what it looked like on the TV. So you might be in a stadium, and all, all the spectators would be on one level, and and everywhere else would be blacked out, and in. And although you could sense that and you knew that when you're in the stadium, you knew that on TV it would look like it was full. I, obviously, there was a spectacular opening ceremony, spectacular closing ceremony for Beijing. I didn't get to see them because I was sort of inside them rather than outside. But they're, I think they're pretty famous for that for their opening ceremony in Beijing. And then London, for me... Well, London, London did pretty well, I thought. Yeah, London did very well. What an amazing story, you know, you can tell through culture and art, can't you? I think what for me was amazing about London was that it was where my friends and my family and, of course, the wider public as well, but they, they, they experienced the Olympic Games and could understand, oh, I see this is why you're so hooked on it and this is why it's special. And then Rio, uh, Rio, for me, especially with my connections to South America, it was just a real cultural explosion. And really nice to go somewhere. i am always much preferred traveling away um, to compete because I felt like it was a level playing field. I didn't like it when we got special treatment or we were trying to You know, just go on our own team bus. I would much rather I was on a bus. You know, just an athlete transport. For me, it's really important that it's, as I say, everyone's equal. And then, you know, we'll compete when we get to the start line. I don't want unnecessary advantages. And so, and and you get to sense the energy of other people. And I and I've I always really thrived off that. So yeah, I was really glad that my last one was a long haul trip away from the UK. So yeah, the Rio was a really really lovely celebration one to finish on.
0: I understand it but I feel that you've beaten yourself up quite hard for perhaps not getting that gold which you possibly
1: deserved
0: but still that's such a win isn't it that's such a historic feat to have got to
1: five games. Yeah I think you know the five games I think I had sort of two goals and in my rowing brain and and one was to get to five and one was to be an Olympic champion and to win and and to be the best in the world but I do know that i tried everything and and I did everything I could to, to try and fulfill my potential. And I think it made a big difference for me. I talk a little bit about this in my book. A couple of years before the end of my career, I really, really assessed what it was that I really valued. And if I only had two years left, what could I possibly get out of those last two years? And I realized that what I valued the most wasn't just the winning crews. It was when I was with others, collaborating with them to see what it was possible that we could create together. And when my focused Change from I've got to win to actually what can we create together and enjoy that adventure. Gosh, it just op- completely opened everything up. It felt way less pressurized and actually it released a much, much higher performance level. I never, ever would have thought that I would have been standing on the podium in Rio, but having this change of mindset and really embracing working with other people rather than this like real feeling of individual pressure that I had to fulfill this dream to win. And that change was, I'm really, I'm really glad I took some time out to really assess things and um, yeah I mean you know it's a shame you know I stood on the podium in Rio and I knew I hadn't won and I never would win but I was still really proud of what we had done as a team and I think actually it was back from the times when I when I traveled when I was younger and that number one it gave me this real perspective like there is when you go to to a completely different country I don't know if you found this but it made me realize there are so many different ways to live and just because I've in my own little bubble in my world, I felt like a pressure to to live or to deliver certain things of expectation in in my world. Gosh, you know, there's just there's no need to feel like that when the world is so much bigger. It's so refreshing and freeing. I and mean, the second thing was that the, the relationships I had informed with people when traveling and I think that really opened my eyes you know I am an introvert I've you know I've done a lot of sport on my own and but actually to experience those relationships where you build bonds through adventure and you don't know what's going to happen that was something that I really tried to bring into my sport as well and I think that was really really important because when things get tough it's it's the people in each other that get us through and and just make us discover things we did not know about ourselves. Your book
0: Learnings from Five Olympic Games is sensational it's a be a journey in its own right, I imagine, to write it. It is a
1: journey. It says anyone who's ever tried to write, very easy to say. Oh, I'll write it down. I'll write a book. But well, that's very kind of you to say so. Thank you. Yes, I, and I was determined to do it on my own. I don't know if that's stubbornness or stupidity. I'm not sure. But yeah, I've done it completely independently down in Cornwall. And I think the main thing with, for me was giving myself permission to do it. So I didn't win. So what right do I have to write about performance? But as I say, it did feel like a real need. I still felt that I had important things and valid things to share. And I have a perspective from being at the top of the team, being one of the world's best rowers to struggling around at the bottom sometimes as well. And I think that's where I learned my most. And many of us don't get to win all the time. So it's probably more tangible to most of us that you know to to be learning from someone who who doesn't win to someone that does so yeah it was a real process but as I found in my sport when I found the right people to work with my goodness it, it completely opened up what was possible I had all my content and then I found someone who said oh I really love to help you sort of clean this up and make sure you use the same tense all the way through <laughs> rather than sort of jumping around all over the page. And it's just been amazing, a wonderful digital formatter who took my sketches and has basically produced what you see now in terms of the colouring and the vibrant illustrations that she's she's brought into the book. And I'm really, really grateful. Initially, I thought everyone should be able to do everything themselves, but every single element of it has been done with local people down in Cornwall. It's just been wonderful to work with other people to bring something to life. And it's exactly the same as I found in sport. But that's what I found in in bringing the book to life as well. It's quiet and considered
0: and and deeply reflective. But at points I also thought it's quite brutal. It's always honest and authentic. Is that the voice you were striving for?
1: Yes, and I think that's why it took quite a long time to find the the right balance between the pragmatic, the, br- the brutally honest stuff. Like you do need to work hard. You do need to confront a whole load of stuff in my own self. But there is a whole load of soft, nuanced stuff that really matters as well when working with others and also in our own empathy for ourselves. So yes, it was. I absolutely wanted to convey with brutal honesty about what it takes, but also with absolute acknowledgement, without undermining my own credibility <laughs> about you know my own self-reflections and self-awareness and my. Own shortcomings because they're absolutely part of it as well.
0: And for me, there are a few real takeaways the power of being in the flow. And I think that's um, having spoken to Chemi Alcott and Jenny Jones, the skiers, they really talk about the importance of being in the moment and going with the rhythm and, and being in the now. The power of connection of human relationships, which you've talked about a bit, really came out. I suspect, of being in a boat with eight of you, that uh, dynamic is pretty important.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we are obviously physically attached to each other, but we also need to be completely in tune mentally. So in the middle of the race in Rio, we were coming last. We were tipped to at least win a medal. But to be able to get to a point where we would think and respond intuitively in exactly the same way to that pressurised moment, that really did involve a real deep understanding of each other and of ourselves. You know, the first thing I wanted to do was do something completely different, but that wouldn't have worked in the team and really understand each other and listen to each other. So that connection, the emotional connection, the absolute commitment to each other emotionally, you know, I will not steer from what we have agreed to do and the commitment I've made to you. I think I, I use it as a quote earlier in the book as well when I'm talking about teams is the ultimate team is when you can't pull another stroke for yourself but you can for those around you and I'm sure people have found this you know in their own lives or or when you're traveling you know if you're traveling buddies and having difficulties of course you don't even think about yourself you go and make sure that that they're all right and as I say relationships whether it's traveling or 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 it's in, in the middle of an Olympic final and you're coming last and you really shouldn't be coming last. The power of our Of our bonds to other people really do make us do extraordinary things. But also your emotional
0: aspect to injury. Tell us some more about that.
1: Yeah, so no one ever wants to be injured, of course. It does not really in plan A, but it is inevitable. Well, for me it was over my long career. And and a lot of my injuries actually were, they were the physical manifestations of emotional stress. I was trying really hard, I was frustrated that I hadn't won the gold yet. And my body was just telling me it needs I I need to rest. You also
0: had your father being ill around that time didn't you? you did have a lot going on in that
1: yeah before before Rio absolutely I was I had like a major injury or illness I was burnt out basically in 2014 I I and I and this is what I refer to in the book about the the, the moment that I changed my mindset, I reconciled myself with failure, redefined what success was for me. But my dad was very ill and he you know, he has a, a long battle with cancer and ended up, he died, actually when I was doing my final race in Lucerne, my favourite place to race. It was about six weeks before Rio, he passed away whilst I was competing in in Lucerne. And I always think, oh, well, he knew that I was in a good place. He knew I was in a team that I was enjoying for the first time in quite a while. And I think that he thought, now's the time to go because I'm going to get the best Spot now. I can see it from above and I'm going to get the best view. He was <laughs> a huge fan. He loved the travel aspect as well. I felt really guilty when I was injured or i didn't compete for some reason. He say "Oh no, but why? What, 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 that means I don't get to go to Lucerne or you know such and such a place." So, but there's often a way to think of it as an opportunity for something else. And for me, as an introvert, often it was it was a really good opportunity to get away from the very intense social environment of the centralized training system. So I'd come back and I'd be able to like get some perspective, get some space. And
0: I wanted to come to walking because Solingen was one of the places that you spent quite a lot of time in your childhood, and your father was a really keen walker, and you've. Been- become a rambler.
1: I'm very fortunate that I can walk from my front door so I just make sure I get out each day and um, really really enjoy that and really relish the outdoor space and just the sounds even if it's the sound of the wind and and the colours. The winter colours are beautiful I think as well so yeah skies and seas and sand and I've been down in Cornwall for about four and a half years um, after I retired from rowing after the Rio Olympics in 2016 that's when I started to Look, and we, myself and my partner were trying to find somewhere down here, and it took a few months to find something. It's been, it's been wonderful to to be away and to be somewhere that I feel is is spacious and less hectic. I'm a rambler. I'm a I like to go out sometimes without a plan at all. But walking to me is it's a part and parcel of every day. Of course, like most young people, our parents drag us out walking. We absolutely hate it. <laughs> but I'm so glad that it instilled in me that pleasure early on. And for me, an ideal day would be going out with a thermos and a and a sandwich and going off for hours and having a little picnic somewhere and exploring places by walking. And and I read a most wonderful book by Farland he wrote about old pathways and how when you're walking on pathways, you know, you're on top of someone else's footsteps. We're layer upon layer upon layer of experiences and ghosts and futures. And I just thought that's such a wonderful image. And for me, if I see a footpath sign, I'm just constantly looking left and right on roads. Where does that one go? Where does that one go? So I found a walking app and it's called I Walk Cornwall. And some wonderful mystic person that in my head is just this absolute hero has gone round cornwall and and written a, a walk all over the place. You can search by woodland, shady, circular, beach, uh, sheltered, whatever it is, um, and oh, in more. And so you can click on a dot and it'll take you somewhere that you've not been before. And, you know, I've, I've given up sort of just sort of trying to plan it too much. I just think, I'll oh, just pin the tail on the donkey and it'll take me somewhere in the county. It'll tell me when I've gone wrong. It'll tell me when my phone's going to run out of battery before I've got to the end. And so, it's, you know, all I have to do is walk along and it beeps when I have to go over a style on the left or the right so I get very excited when I find someone who says oh I like walking and they don't know about the app yet I feel like I'm opening up an Aladdin's cave for them
0: did I hear that like to do some ramblings with others oh yeah it'd be wonderful
1: to do a sort of walk with an Olympian type thing I mean my learnings were from my own experiences but it means something different to to everyone everyone's context is different so walking with others to understand what these things mean in in their context really, really interests me. So I guess it's spreading my love for the outdoors and for walking and for discovery and, and discovering what's close to us as well.
0: Two final questions. Tell us about being in Sydney with Sir Steve Redgrave. You were starting your quest for gold and he was finishing his.
1: Yeah, it was incredible to be a part of the team that Steve Redgrave, you know, he, he obviously knew it was going to be his last games. And for him, it was trying to get the fifth gold in a row. Um, and I think something that people often don't appreciate about Steve Redgrave is not only did he win five goals, but he peaked on five different occasions to do that over this 20 year period, which is just incredible. And I remember the lake in Sydney, it honestly it trembled it trembled when he was when he was racing that final race and I've never felt anything like it or as sort of profound as that moment everyone in the rowing world and I think the Olympic world really knew that it was something something really special. And lastly away from rowing what
0: was the favourite Olympic performance that you witnessed?
1: it would be Cathy Freeman running her 400 meter Olympic final. We were sat on the start line and she you know she walked into the stadium and she had the expectations of a nation on her shoulders you know a nation yeah. and her, her whole her people you know no Aboriginal woman or man had has ever won an Olympic medal before this and she had lit the flame the week before the stadium was absolutely silent. It was that time when track and field athletes wore all in I don't know if you remember all in one like Suits, like all the way down their legs, their arms and the hood and it was silent. And she put this hood up and she knelt down and she just took this moment to herself. And then when the gun went off, all you could see was the flashbulbs going off around the stadium. And then when she crossed the line, it, it just erupted. It was it was just something. It was like fireworks in in sound, in in sense, in, in presence, in colour, and because we were, we, we were positioned where we were, it was supposed to be the cheap seats, but <laughs> it was actually the most incredible seat to be in because she'd just crossed the finish line and she knelt down on one knee and she had these gold spikes and she just, she sat there and she took her spikes off and took the hood off her head. And she, again, she just took this moment to herself whilst, you know, her whole country sort of erupted around her. So I feel really privileged to have been able to go to a Games and see something like that and, you know, alongside other athletes as well that's fantastic thank you and if you enjoyed listening you can find out more about Frances's
0: rowing adventures learnings and positive mindset coaching through her book where can people go to buy your book Frances?
1: yeah so um learnings from five olympic games that's what it's called it is what it says on the tin uh, it's all through my website as i say and independently published so that's the only place it's available and it's my name so it's www.francis that's francis with an e horton h-o-u-g-h-t-o-n dot So FrancisHorton.co.uk. Or you can get to me through social media channels on Twitter or Instagram, both of which are at Horton Francis. And if you ask nicely, you might even get a signed copy. Oh, absolutely. No problem.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and for appearing on Action Pack Travel Podcast. It's been humbling. It's been inspiring. We wish you the very best of luck in the future with your book, Walking and Future Endeavours, wherever in the world they take you. Thank you for having me on. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, ActionPackTravel.com or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails, too, at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you. And you are me.
1: It's just it's a crazy storm.